Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, it is officially the two-year anniversary of the Storybox podcast. Today, in fact, on Monday, the 15th of November, 2021. And I am doing a huge special week for you guys, starting the week off with an amazing, an amazing guest, honestly. And then I'm going to continue uh, bringing forth to you guys some more amazing people this week. I will be doing some re-release of a few episodes that I honestly really, really enjoyed having with people, someone ones that made a huge difference in my life. Uh, but it's going to be a fun week. I want to make it fun for you guys as well, listening in or watching as well. But today, my friends, I am delighted to welcome my all-time favorite podcaster. Her name is Fern Cotton. Now, for those of you that don't know who she, who she is, she is one of the best known and most popular broadcasters in the UK and is most recently known as the founder of the well, well-being brand called Happy Place. She has a podcast with that same name called Happy Place. Highly encourage you guys to go and listen. It is one of those shows where I kid you not, it is binge worthy. I've been binge listening to pretty much all of the conversations. I don't think there's an episode that I haven't listened to yet. And there's a lot of content on there. So honestly, that goes to tell you how good she is. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is the fact that she is a great interviewer. Maybe it's her voice as well. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. But anyway, I love Fern. She is amazing. And uh, I was really privileged enough to actually get to speak to her on the show and I'm grateful that I get to release her episode on the two-year anniversary of the Storybox, which is even better. But Fern also created the brand uh, uh, pretty much on her first book called Happy, which was a Suntime, Sunday Times bestseller and Silver Nielsen bestseller as well. This was the first in a series of books talking about her own and some of the not-so-positive experience experiences that she's had with happiness. 
This was also the premise to launch her podcast in 2018 called Happy Place. Uh, she's featured amazing guests from Ellie Golding, Hillary Rodman Clinton, uh, Jada Pickett-Smith, Russell Brand, Alicia Keys, Elizabeth Gilbert, so many incredible people. I think my favorite ones would have to be uh, Russell Brand, and there was one person in particular that she had on that made me cry, uh, Ashley uh, that episode encourage you guys to go and listen to it if you're keen for it. It's just a, an emotional, heartfelt conversation. But to date, the podcast has nearly over 40 million downloads and continues to top the charts. 2019 saw a, a further extension of the brand into the live space with over 10,000 people attending two Happy Place festivals, one in the north and one in the south of England. The festival went virtual in 2020, obvious reasons because of COVID, running over for month featuring around 150 pieces of content. Her third children's book, Your Mood Journal, was published in the autumn of last year and her most recent book, Speak Your Truth, was published this year on the 7th of January. I highly encourage you guys to go and get a copy of that book if you have not already. Fern is a mother of two and stepmother of two. She closely supports a range of charities most notably for mental health uh, charity Mind, The Prince's Trust and Copperfield, uh, the latter of which she curates the charity's music festival, Festi Phil. And this was, like I'm saying, one of my favorite conversations that I've had so far. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm not a night person at all, uh, but we had this conversation at 9 p.m. Sydney time, that is usually the time when I'm fast asleep. However, Fern was so kind, gracious, she understood how I was feeling and she helped a lot. <laughs> so Fern, thank you so much for that. This was a tremendous time uh, with an amazing, wonderful woman. Thank you for your story. Thank you for everything that you're doing in the world. All right, my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review over on our podcast before you go. Uh, Appreciate each and every one of you. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to celebrate the two-year anniversary of the Storybox as we journey into the Storybox today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the story of none other than the one, the only, amazing human being, Fern Cotton. Oh, well, thank you, and thank you for such a, a wonderful introduction. And I'm so glad that you like the podcast. That means the world to me. So thank you, Jay. I have been binge listening to you, all the episodes. Honestly, I love it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the way you interview people. Maybe it's your voice too. Maybe it's the questions you ask. Who knows? But I'm loving it. <laughs> and maybe it's the happiness of it too. Like I just, I soak it all up. So thank you so much for, for creating the show. Oh, well, it's a pleasure. You know, it's um, it saved me in many ways and it's been, well, it still is, you know, weekly so healing um, and a privilege to just sit and listen to so many brilliant people. I get to to listen to all of these amazing stories and perspectives on life. And I walk away after each episode having always learned something or at least I'll take away something to think about. So I'm just lucky that I get to do it and I'll keep doing it for as long as I can. I feel like 
yeah, the feeling's mutual on my end too because I love doing the same thing, getting to unbox people's stories, which I'm very excited to do with you today, Fern. Um, I've heard your story a little bit on some of the episodes that you do produce and some of the conversations you've had, such as Jay Shetty as well. But the very first question that I do have for you is a question I normally love asking all my guests at the very start, which is, what does success look like for you? Success to me, um, it, I find it really hard to distill exactly what I think it is because it does change for me. But I think the further down the line I get, the more I believe it's a feeling of constantly wanting to learn and expand. That's a big part of it. So it's not <clears throat> it's not a, a finite thing. It's not. There's no sort of end goalpost it's um it's having this willingness to always want to learn and expand because that's a really positive space to be in rather than you know feeling like oh what's the point I don't want to do this anymore or like yeah I've smashed it dead end you know Mm. success to me is a willingness to keep wanting to learning and improving knowing that there is no end to that you can just keep going Mm. and I think it's the moments where I feel really satisfied and really boosted by what I'm doing, but not tipping into overwhelm. When I get into that very adrenaline-based feeling of, right, what's next, doing the next thing, and and how am I going to do the next thing, that used to feel like success for me, this real scramble to the elusive top, which doesn't exist. And now it's not. It's a calmer approach to, oh, what could I what could be next, you know, and being curious about it and going off on new tangents. And yeah, I think it's just a willingness to keep learning that that feels like a good space to be in. Why do you think that your your idea of success changes for you over time? Has Have you always, I guess, thought about success over the course of your life? Or has it sort of been more like a recent thing for you? Oh, no, I was thinking of it in the womb. Like I was, I came out ready. Like, what am I doing? Where am I going? I, I was off from the start. And in the UK, I started work very young at the age of 15 in broadcasting. And my idea of success then was vastly different to what it is now. It was very much, how do I get to the top? How can I be as shiny and um, brilliant at the job as possible and as known as possible? And I didn't see there was any other version of success because there aren't that many, well, there weren't back then in the 90s, that many different perspectives on success, whereas we've got a better understanding of it now, I think, Mm. to some extent. Anyway, so I had a moment in my life where the illusion broke and it was quite catastrophic and it was um, very painful for me personally, what I was sort of going through. And I've talked about it or I've talked around it in ways in most of my books on the podcast that due to lots of stuff that was going on in my life, I just hit a massive wall. And I went into um, a period of depression and uh, not really making sense of any of it anymore. And a lot of it relating to my career. I just thought this doesn't make sense anymore. Like, what? where am I going with this and what does it mean? And it's, it's actually more painful than it is good. So, you know, I sometimes think if you're not seeing the lessons out there, the universe will go, there you go, deal with that, have a go at that, see what happens. And, you know, it's been sort of 10 years of lots of therapy and 
healing and learning and listening and all that good stuff, which I'm still on that. You know, again, there's no end to that one. But um, because of it, I've had to see I've had to seek out other options as to what success means. So for me, it was quite dramatic. I think for other people with time and age and experience, you just get a better feel for what you like rather than what you're told should be success. Yeah, I think it's it's very much this gradual progression over the course of your life. I've noticed that for me, and I'm only 25 at the moment, and even like a few years ago, my version of success is completely different to what it is now. <laughs> so it's it's amazing how it evolves over time. But I honestly feel like I've I've um, got my understanding of what success is because it's that continual progression towards that one main goal for me. And that one main goal, I feel like I won't achieve until I die, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So it's because, that, it's you know, Jay, like, you know, okay, so you're much younger. I'm 40. So I I've, I sort of came to that conclusion, as I said, you know, early 30s, but it was quite dramatic. But I think, say you went, right, this is my one goal and that's what I want to achieve. And it's to be the biggest podcast or whatever it might be. When you get to the number of listeners you wanted to get to, or you get to the ultimate guest you wanted or whatever, then what? Yep. Did you stop? Of course yeah. not. So it, it's almost, it's good to have little markers and, and goals that you would like to sort of tick off the list, but they can't be the be all and end all for, for me, certainly. It's got to be the experience and how you navigate challenges. That's something that I'm actually enjoying now. Like when a problem comes up or something that's really like hit me in the ego, I rather than go, oh God, what's happening? Now I usually sort of, sometimes I'll laugh if it's not too dramatic. I'll be like, oh, this is so obvious. This is so obvious what I'm meant to do here. Or sometimes I'll feel irritated, angry, whatever. And then I'll just go, right, what's the best way through this? Can't go around it, can't go over it. What's the best way through it? And there'll be more learning there. So I think that's success for me as well. Learning to sort of navigate just the craziness of life. Mm. What has your failures taught you about being happy? Oh my God, everything. And that's the important <laughs> lesson. You know, mm. we assume that happiness comes from only positive things or, or certainly our understanding of happiness comes from only amazing moments. And I've learned everything about happiness so far, way more to learn because of, you know, extreme moments of lacking it and not being able to, see it at all mm. and again you know it's reframed happiness for me much like success I think before I did assume that the two um would run as a parallel and that if I'm doing well I'd feel happy and <laughs> I learned that the hard way you know that's just not how it works mm. you can be doing all the things you thought you wanted to do and feel miserable unfortunately you know it's doesn't make me a bad person or ungrateful. We've all had those moments where we thought we were going to feel great and we just missed the mark. And it's because we're we're just one degree out from where we should be with the listening and the learning bit and the processing life bit. So I've learned a lot and I'm still learning because some days, I, you know, today you've caught me on a day where I feel really good. I had some challenges this week that I navigated uh, in, with, with much better response than I might have 10 years ago. And that always feels really cool. But last week, I really struggled and I felt really crap. And um, and I I couldn't see the good bits and the light. So I'm still on that 
that sort of crazy explorative journey with happiness. And it's why I am so fascinated in the subject matter and why the podcast is called Happy Place. It's quite loaded because, you know, what is happiness and how do you get it or can you get it or should we pursue it? Should we not? You know, there's so many different thoughts around it. And I like that it causes a bit of conversation. But yeah, I'm very much still learning about it now. I want to come back to speaking more and diving more into happiness in just a moment because I feel like it is a very fascinating subject matter. Oh. But I want to go back a little bit and give my audience a little bit of context with around where you actually came from. So you started in the broadcast industry quite early on, 15. How did that come about? Well, I, I, I come from a sort of working class family in the suburbs, very normal, but, you know, nothing dramatic, uh, bad or good, just, you know, great. Had my lovely parents, my brother, everything was very normal, very hardworking parents, multiple jobs, always kind of saw that. And I guess, uh, imbibed that on a subconscious level didn't love school didn't feel I, I just I, I, I you know I've been really thinking about it a lot because I've just written a new book where I sort of delve into it a little bit and there was just a sense that there had to be something more than this sort of gray school with a gray sky and a gray car park and everything was gray and I just thought there has to be more color and excitement out there and for me that just looked like the world of showbiz that for me was like, I need to be there because that looks fun, colorful and amazing. And I was just a big daydreamer. And then I started going to a local dance and drama school in a church hall. Again, nothing fancy, not one of the big stage schools in London, just a local one. But I loved it. And it was my everything. And I just kept looking for doors into the world of showbiz that I know now doesn't exist, but went to millions of auditions, you know, failed at loads of them. And then somehow at the age of 15, got an audition for this. It was a big TV show over here back in the 90s for kids called Disney Club. They had a similar one in the States. And, um, and I somehow got the job. And it was everything that I'd wanted it to be. It was the dream come true. It was the, you know, I felt like I'd been plucked from the grey school in the grey suburbs and put in the telly. And it was amazing. And I was really looked after by amazing kids TV producers who really helped me learn the craft. And make mistakes and all those things. And I'm forever grateful for that team. And that's where the hard work then kicked in, you know, staying mm. in the world of showbiz or broadcasting, whatever, you know, I thought it was back then. And that's obviously changed greatly over the years, but that was my induction into this very strange, intense world that I work in. Mm. How long were you doing broadcast before it all sort of came crumbling down? Oh, years. I mean, this is so recent for me, all of this new stuff. Happy Place, I guess, has been around four years now um, as, a, as an existing brand. And it's been a very slow build and we're still really taking our time. There is no rush. We want to get it right. So, yeah, I mean, 20 years, I guess, wow. of me doing the TV shows, doing the radio, you know, some of it amazing, some of it didn't feel quite right. Some of it really hated. Um, whereas now it's consistent. I love, 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 love what I do every single day. Mm. And that I feel so grateful for. So grateful. When everything came crashing down as it happened, did you ever see yourself doing what you're doing today with, with the podcast? 
No, not at all. I mean, it's all been a happy accident, which again feels amazing and also makes me forces me to remember that I have to give space for new stuff to come in because I think, you know, I'm a control freak as many people are out there and I want to go, well, this is going to happen next and then I'm going to do that and it will lead to this. And in this circumstance, out of necessity, I literally couldn't do anything. I left a lot of the jobs I was doing. I created space without wanting the space. I didn't want to be in that space, but I, I couldn't deal with any more in life than I was dealing with. And then it very slowly unfurled, right, I'm going to start writing down what I've just been through and how I feel. And it feels very scary and vulnerable. And then that turned into a book and then everything else followed suit. So it's been a slow unraveling. But yeah, it reminds me that I can't keep packing out my life and filling Mm. it with stuff. I've got to leave a bit of space here and there where I can. And I learned that lesson the really hard way. Mm. Um, But yeah, this is this is why it's so exciting to me, because it's all so new still. It's all so new. And now I get to combine the two. I can use the stuff I learned from my broadcasting career and put it with all of these experts I'm talking to and amazing people I'm learning from. And that feels very cool. You're one of my all time favorite interviewers, actually. I have learn so much from listening to you and how you interact with all your guests. You're very, you, you don't, you're not afraid to get vulnerable with people. You ask some good questions. It's almost like two of you are having just this great conversation amongst each other that I don't feel like there's any prepped questions. <laughs> I could be wrong there. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm so wrong. It's it's so cool how that actually happens because I try my absolute best not to prep questions and just go in as organic as I possibly can, which just inflates my curiosity even more with people. You mentioned something that I am very curious about, which is vulnerability and the ability for one person to actually get vulnerable, especially with another person. Fern, you and I just met, so it might be a bit difficult to be vulnerable and, and all that sort of stuff. But I do want to ask you, what has been sort of your most vulnerable moment in your life, whether in your career or the things you're doing today, personal family life, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I, it's a lovely subject to talk about because none of us like necessarily showing that side of ourselves, but I think I've got quite comfortable with it. Not entirely. There's still things that I feel embarrassed about, ashamed about, all sorts of stuff that every human deals with. But I'm much more comfortable now, say, talking about anxiety and panic attacks than I am presenting something that's purely for entertainment. That feels to me quite uncomfortable and jarring. Whereas now, to talk to lots of people about panic attacks feels quite comfortable. But again, it's taken a long time to get there. And it's been really incremental because even uh, maybe three years ago now, I was on my friend Elizabeth Day's podcast, How to Fail. And for some reason, out of the blue, in that moment, I thought, I think I'm ready to talk about something I haven't before. And it felt terrifying. And that was the eating disorder that I had during my 20s. And I felt a lot of shame around it still and embarrassment. And um, But I thought, I'm just going to do it and go for it. And, and, and that felt um, scary. But I mean, you know, writing the book Happy was terrifying. So I, I, before I'd just been this like, yay, happy person on the radio and I play music and I interview people. And then it was like, right, okay, do you want to know what happens when I go home and I shut the door? I feel terrible, you know, and I, I didn't know what the reaction would be. And I know it's 
not entirely about that, but I still wanted to engage in a conversation that felt like it was inclusive of the audience and not just me pouring my heart out. And we've got there, luckily, and we've got a really nice dialogue going with the audience, but it was really scary at first. But I still feel extremely vulnerable when I have to say to people, I, I don't I don't understand. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, that for me feels quite tricky still in everyday situations like I I don't get it. You know, that I think we've got such a strange skew of that in society where we're meant to know everything. We're meant to be on top of popular culture, current affairs, you know, just what's going on with Kim Kardashian. It's like, I, I can't keep up with it all. It's too overwhelming. So I still find that quite difficult. But actually, the thing I find the hardest, this one for me debilitates me at times. And it's saying I need something from someone. Because I am a, I'm a real giver. I love to help people. I want to offer my time, my platform, whatever it is. I, I like doing it. It makes me feel good selfishly. And I know that there's some a ripple effect. Like that to me is very natural. Yeah. Whereas for me to say, Jay, look, I need you to do this for me. Or you know what? I don't like it when you do that. Is it okay if you don't do that? Oh, I find that <laughs> excruciating. <laughs> I couldn't feel more vulnerable if I tried in those moments. So it's not the big stuff, weirdly. It's the little everyday stuff where I'm floored by vulnerability and I freeze. I literally freeze. So rather than say, look, I need a bit of help here. I go, no, no, it's okay. I'll do all of it. I'll do everything. I'll do what you need me to do and what I need help with. I'll do all of it. And then I end up in resentment and I end up feeling like crap and it all unravels from there. So that that for me is seriously a vulnerable place to be still at this age. Quite tragic. I feel the same way. <laughs> I struggle with that still too. Yeah. I'm very much, I, I hate saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm very much like a perfectionist. So yeah. I, I just have this innate drive to want to have it look and feel a certain way. And if it doesn't, then I start beating myself up. I'm too afraid to ask people for help and, and get to that vulnerable stage. But, you know, I remember when I first opened up uh, with a guest, it was um, Dr. Edith Egger about being sexually abused as a 60 year old. That for me was like the hardest thing I've ever had to do on the show. But when I did it, it was like this freeing feeling. And then when I opened up to another guest about my severe panic attack and my eating disorders, like, once again, that was freeing too, because then they were able to say, Jay, here are some strategies that I've learned. I'm still learning as I'm going, but here are some management strategies for you to take away. You may be able to use it. You may not. And for the audience that are listening, they could take it away as well. So I'm curious for you, Fern, with your vulnerability, with everything that you have been able to learn as a result of all the experiences you have been through, for someone that is struggling with anxiety and, and panic attacks at the moment, what would be some, I guess, management strategies that you can provide for them? Well, first of all, I think it's uh, brilliant that you're sharing with your audience so authentically, because I think, you know, we, we're all learning that the more we share and the more we discuss difficult topics, the more help we can provide. So it's yeah. fantastic that you're using your your platform and your space in that way. With panic attacks, it's something I'm still very much trying to figure out. And 
So say two weeks ago, I had this huge 24 hours of extreme anxiety that, that, yeah, I went into panic at night for sure. And I was really nervous about a really big job that I had the next day mm. and wanting it to be perfect. You know, again, this <laughs> plays into the element of perfectionism. When you strive for something to be perfect and you don't want there to be any errors, it's you're really setting yourself up for so much pressure and anxiety and all sorts. But I don't know how to get out of that because also as well as wanting to do the job well, we now live alongside this toxic cancel culture that exists that leaves no space for people to make mistakes. And it's yeah. there's no good thing about cancel culture. It is not okay. And whether you're in the public eye or not, everyone lives with that. You could be cancelled from your local community or your group of friends or whatever it is for making a mistake. And it's it's horrible. Yeah. So I panic about that quite a lot. Um, also, because I've been on the receiving end of all sorts of you know horrible things written about me and said about me and from strangers or whatever. So that I kind of carry around with me, unfortunately. And I, you know, I do loads of therapy about it, but you know, it's still there. So. I went into this horrible state of very physical panic. My cognitive, you know, my my brain and my cognitive thinking knows I'll be all right. And that even if I trip over a word or I say something wrong, I'll get myself out of it. You know, I'll 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 be honest or I'll apologize or whatever needs to be done. But my body is not on board with it at all. And I feel floaty it's almost like I'm not in my body I'm sort of floating around very tingly horrible oh how do I even describe it it's a sort of weird heaviness but also oh, it's a, such a it's so hard to explain this feeling I get in my solar plexus it's all here and I can't even put my finger on it but it's so intense and it's not a pain it's just, and it feels very exposing and a vulnerable place to be, but it's all here. It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? Oh, and I try yeah. the breathing exercises. And then if that doesn't work, I get further into it. Cause, oh my God, even that isn't working now. And I panic more. And, you know, so I haven't worked it out fully. The only thing that can sometimes help me, cause mine will more often than not come at night. And it's actually stopped me doing certain things like morning radio shows because I won't sleep the night before and I, I'll get ill. You know, I won't sleep for weeks and I'll get ill. I don't want that. Um, so if I'm having one at night, rather than go, right, what can I do next? I need to do breathing and then I need to do some like counting things and I need to do some like memory exercises and take my mind off it. I've actually just started going, go on then, let's just do this. Let's just feel panicked and not resist it and just let it in. And sometimes that will take the heat out of it. Sometimes I'll fall asleep, but there's really no guarantee. It's so dependent on the circumstance. So I don't know how much help I am apart from being honest about it. And hopefully people won't feel alone, which I think also helps dissipate the heat around it. Because you go, okay, it's not just me lying here doing this right now. There's millions of people experiencing this. And I, I, I know that's helpful because I've been on the receiving end of it. So the tools and techniques I still dabble with. One really good therapy is um, EMDR, which is, is either a, an eye movement therapy or you can do this bilateral tapping. 
And I did that more specifically for driving on the motorway, uh, which, you know, wasn't uh, the panic wasn't a reaction to having had an incident on the motorway. It was just some weird association my brain made with you're out of you're out of control. Um, and I can now drive on the motorway, which feels great. But I have many, many other hurdles to tackle with that one. But, I, you know, I'm, I can't put too much pressure on myself. It, it will happen when it happens. I will be honest with you, Fern, and I appreciate you sharing that as well, because I, yeah, to be completely transparent and honest with you, I still wrestle with those days as well. Like, I know the feeling you're talking about. It's kind of like this very uncomfortable my body temperature rises so i become really really hot it's kind of like yeah. a it's a weird hot flush and you just can't seem to get rid of it your mind is spinning out of control you just you just yeah it, it's not a it's not a fun feeling at all but like what's helped me a few times and maybe it might help you is is having a cold shower like just really yeah because what i've noticed is showers especially they they ground you and i find that when i'm not when i'm in that state of panic i'm not grounded i'm completely out of the blue like in middle of nowhere <laughs> really yeah. so i've got to get back to grounding and a cold shower will lower my blood temperature and essentially help me to be grounded so if it's really really out of control for me I'll go straight to the shower and I seem to have more in summertime because summertime here in Australia is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And, but um, yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd share that. Maybe it might work, oh, maybe it might not. That. I'm always up for good sort of physical, practical things you can do because it is so physical and you do need to to do something to, to get your body on the same page as your mind. If you, cause I can, more often than not calm my mind down but my body's just doing its own thing so yeah. i think that's going to be really handy so thank you for that no you're more than welcome i, I want to sort of ask you as well speaking about like loving the body and and doing all these sorts of things what do you love the most about your story and yourself now um, as a British person, it's always really hard to say what you like about yourself. It's kind of been, you know, completely um, extracted from our culture, the, the, the need to celebrate yourself. And I, for one, really want to promote that we should all be doing just that, especially over here where we're terrible at it. We're really self-deprecating. We're really horrible about ourselves. And we think it's kind of stoic or cool or whatever. And it's not. So I really like this question. and. I think what I like about my story is that without really overthinking it, I have been willing to pick myself back up and try again and put myself back out there, even when there's still a lot of risk involved and it feels scary. Mm. And I'm glad that I've done that because I could have at one point very easily hid away and stayed safe and um and sometimes I do retreat a bit and I'm quite a hermit and stay at home a lot but in terms of my career it felt terrifying to open my mouth in public at one point because I was so traumatized by stuff I'd been through and judgment around me and who I was and um and I'm glad that I did it anyway. And I don't know how. Sometimes I look back at the really painful bits of my life and think, 
I don't know how I even put myself out there. Like, what was I thinking? But but I'm glad that I did. And it's, um, you know, bits of it have been really tough, but I'm I'm really grateful that I'm still able to do a job that I love and actually in a completely different way now, which is even better. So I think that's the bit about my my own personal story that, that I like the best. Do you know what keeps you going today? I think it's a need for connection with other people. Even though a lot of the time I need to be on my own and I really like solitude, I get such a buzz out of meeting new people and them being part of my story and me being part of theirs. That will never cease to excite me. And luckily I get to meet new people all the time with my job. And it just, that just keeps on going. So I think even though I felt like I couldn't do it anymore, there almost wasn't an option because it's such a innate part of who I am that I need that, that human connection and that, that source of learning. I like learning from other people um, and other people's life stories intrigue me massively. So I would probably always have been pulled in this direction one way or, or another, mm. no matter what my story looked like. So I think that's what still drives all of it today, really. And wanting to do something decent and help people, that's another part of my personality that is fixed. I like help being helpful if I can. Um, and not in a way like, I'm so amazing, look at me helping everyone. It serves me i like doing it i feel good doing it and i'm I, I can't not it's just part of who i am i did my enneagram test this year and i came out as number two there's nine different archetypes and i'm number two the helper which was no surprise to me but it was kind of nice to go oh yeah that is who i am that's cool i can say that out loud without feeling like someone's going to judge me and go oh yeah whatever martyr you know no this it's who i am i like it I, for one, can say you're very humble, very authentic and down to earth, which I really do appreciate. And the fact that you do, you are doing something that is more than decent, by the way. It's incredible. Oh, <laughs> That's from my personal opinion and perspective. I can't wait for like in the next episode of Happy Place. Like who's phone going to interview next? Who, who's she going to speak to? Uh, I just, I hold out for it. Like it's, it's honestly oh, amazing. So thank you so much for continuing to go. I've got um, one you're going to love soon. There's one ooh. that I recorded yesterday. Oh, it was amazing. That's all I'm saying. Uh, is it, is it going to come out next week or? No, it's that next week's one's really good, really good as well. But it's, um, I think it's in a few weeks time. It's around someone amazing. who has got a new book coming out. That's all I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> I, know. I think I know who it is. I won't. Do you? Uh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> No, that is so cool. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop geeking out and ask you another question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you've done it, Fern. <laughs> I know. No, it's, good. it's a good one. It's a good well one. done. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to steer the conversation a little bit towards happiness for, for just a moment with the time that we do have left. Really do appreciate your time, by the way, today. Oh. Why, why do you think happiness is so elusive for a lot of people today? Because it's promoted as something that it actually isn't. You know, it's very much promoted, especially in pop culture, 
that it's a big firework moment. It's winning a reality TV show. It's reaching the top, top, top of, you know, the ladder you're trying to climb at work. It's having the perfect love story. It's having the most amazing social life on social media, which is you in a nightclub with sparklers and everyone looks amazing. And we, you know, we know it's an illusion, but we still subconsciously buy into it. Oh, that's that's happiness. You know, and and then we create this a sort of weird future proofing. Oh, when I when I get that, then I'll then I'll be happy. Well, you know, when I when I look like that, then I'll be happy. When I get that partner, then I'll be happy. When I have that many Instagram followers, then I'm I'm gonna feel really happy. When I get that promotion, I'm gonna feel so happy. And that isn't it. You know, there's no guarantees of any of that. You know, you could be promoted, but also they then end up getting divorced on the same day. You know, we don't know what, we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea and we can't pin it all to exterior circumstance because it's too, too risky. Mm. And happiness, actually, if we really look back into our own memory banks, well, there'll be some big moments. It might be, you know, the birth of your children, your wedding day or your graduation or what it, it might be some of those moments, but it will also be, if you really think back, some really beautiful, simple things. It might be, it could be something as simple as there's a walk that you really like doing in the local forest that you live by or the local park, or if you're lucky enough to live by the sea, or it might be just a really lovely moment of connection that you had with your neighbour or someone on the school run, or there's lots of really small quiet bits of happiness that we don't talk about and because we don't talk about them we don't notice them and we're not looking out for them and then we miss them altogether so I really am trying now like this morning my husband did school run because he's he's off work today and I've got quite a busy day and I was in the kitchen and the, the sun was rising and it looked all sort of misty in the garden and the sun was just filtering through the trees and there was nothing going on, you know, it was nothing special. But I felt moved by it. I felt really moved by that moment of just it all looked beautiful and there was nothing happening in that moment. And I was in the moment. I wasn't in the future or the past, which I have a huge propensity to sway between the two. And I think that's where we all need to be not necessarily looking for our moments of happy, happiness, but certainly noticing them like, oh, that, this, this feels nice. This feels, feel, feels good. There's nothing mm-hmm. major happening. There's nothing, could be that a stranger smiles at you in the street or, you know, grab all those moments, grab them all, you know, go for it. And, and, and remember that you are part of other people's story in that way. You know, if you want to buy the person behind you in the queue of coffee, gorgeous what a lovely thing to do and that's a little moment you can cultivate so we've got to look for the small stuff and we're just not it's not promoted that we should be doing that it's promoted we've got to strive for the big stuff and Mm. then we're just falling short constantly and we feel like as you say it's elusive yeah i feel like happiness is almost now a buzzword they just use quite so often it's like you you must be happy all the time but that is Honestly, impossible. <laughs> it's it just not. And also, who would want that? Like, that would get annoying for everyone around you. Like, oh, oh my God, mate, can you stop being so jolly? Like, 
seriously. And also, <laughs> what are we losing by denying ourselves of all the other emotions? Like, I know when I'm angry, which I can easily leap to, I have such fire in my belly. If I use it well, if I get clear with that anger, oh my God, watch me get shit done. I will get <laughs> so much done. I don't want to lose anger. I don't want to lose sadness. Sometimes I feel happy when I'm sad because I'm crying and it feels like a release and it's quite beautiful. And, you know, we've got to find the worth in all of it and just learn how to use it and how to challenge it or learn how to sit in it sometimes, which is horrible and hard, but mm. also essential. And I'm still haven't nailed that one, but I know it's important. So, yeah, we, we, it's not about being happy all the time. It's about noticing when happiness is floating by and not missing it. Yeah. I made the choice the other week actually to watch a movie and I hadn't had a good cry in, in forever. And I wasn't expecting to cry in this movie, but it was a dog movie and I'm a huge sucker for <laughs> dog movies. Big mistake, Fern. Oh, it wasn't a really big mistake. But anyway, I just started bawling my eyes out and I'm like, what's going on? What is going on? Why do I feel so weird, but happy at the same time? <laughs> it was right. like... And then, Oh, my mom, my mom came in and she's like, why are you crying? I'm like, this damn movie is so damn sad. But yet at the same time, it's making me happy. And she's like, oh, do you need a hug? I'm like, yes. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Crying is really lovely. And it's only when we stop those tears flowing that I think we get into problems because we're just suppressing it. Having a cry is really natural and a brilliant release. And mm. we shouldn't think of it as being self-indulgent or weak or any of those awful other things that get attached to sadness and crying. It's gorgeous to have a cry. Cry more, I say. Mm. Where's your happy place at the moment, Fern? I mean, it's always at home, really. I'm quite a simple person. The fact that I just like being at home and I feel very lucky that that is the fact that um, you know, I feel very safe at home. I feel very comfortable. Um, I like being in my kitchen. I like pottering about. I never get bored. I don't think I've ever been bored in my entire life. I've always got jobs that I want to do, things that I want to try, cupboards I want to clear out. I just like being at home. And also, actually, I may add, by the sea. I do love being by the sea. We have some amazing beaches in the UK that are completely underrated and just divine and being anywhere near the sea and just watching it even on a crappy day when it's like really roaring and it's gray there's just something about it that just brings me back to earth and back in my body and yeah i love the sea i love going for runs along the beach there's those are like my some of my favorite times although i haven't been able to get out there the sorry are you right by the beach? No, unfortunately I'm not. I'm about 50 to 60 minute drive away from right. the nearest beach. But when I do get out there, I appreciate it immensely. Like, <laughs> cause I know it's like they come few and far between. So I'm going to value it as much as I possibly can. Uh, so I'll make a day of it anyway. But Fern, what are some things that you are curious at the moment about regarding happiness? I think it's um, for all of us, this is not me directing advice because as I said, I'm very much on this learning curve with everyone. It's giving us all permission to know that we have the agency to feel happy. We often think happiness is only directly related to circumstance. And that's a huge myth that we need to break. And I'm not 
being flippant or disregarding very painful moments in life that are out of our control, like losing someone, losing a job, physical ailments that you're experiencing. I'm not, I'm not detracting from those tough moments in life, but I'm saying we can choose happiness much more than we think we can. And that again has been perhaps something we're slightly indoctrinated with that again, we will only feel happy when or if, and it's all exterior stuff. And what I'm learning from some very wise people at the moment, some amazing shamans I've talked to and thought leaders that we've got much more agency over the happiness that we cultivate within. And that might be down to perspective and perception of life. It might be down to feeling, uh, to, to seeking out an inner peace or self-acceptance, self-love, all words that we hear a lot, but we rarely understand fully. Um, I think self-love is a big part of it. And I, that's something that I have to really work on because I can easily, easily go into self-loathing. I probably do once a week. At some point in my week, I will sink into self-loathing and beat myself up and call myself an idiot and all sorts of horrible stuff. So I know that if that's, if I'm in that mindset, I'm not going to feel happy if even, you know, something, Brad Pitt walks in the door. You know, nothing, nothing's going to make me feel good. Nothing. Because I'm in self-loathing. Whereas if you like yourself or accept yourself, there's so much more room for you to choose happiness in a moment. And to maybe even like laugh at stuff that is annoying, challenging, not earth shattering, but like, oh God, this again, right, here we go. Um, I think it's it's looking around the agency of happiness really piques my curiosity because we're not tapping into that anywhere near enough. We're still, and we're even doing it with social media, you know, we're waiting for other people to tell us we're okay. Yeah, We put a picture up and we hope that if all the comments are positive, if it gets really liked, then we go, oh, I, I am okay. Oh, that did look good. Oh, that was a good moment. We mm. keep handing over our happiness to everybody else. And we've got to bring it back in and go, doesn't matter what anyone says about me or my life. I know that in this moment, I feel good or I feel like this is right or I feel happy. Mm. We've got to stop handing our happiness over to other people and our self-worth. So I think I'm deeply curious about that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm curious about a similar area. Like you mentioned the divide before that is happening because of partly social media and a lot of things going on in society today, which is unfortunate. And But you're right, all of us do have a choice whether or not we want to choose happiness or choose not to be happy, which is ultimately still okay as well. But it, I think it's trying to find that, that balance, if that is such a thing, it, you know, like I'm, I'm still learning <laughs> this whole thing myself, which kind of leads me to my second last question, Fern, if that's okay. This yeah. idea between happiness versus joy, is there, what's the difference that you've noticed and is one more important than the other, you think? I think they're both equally as important because when we're hopefully old men and women and sat there looking back over our lives, it's going to be the moments where we really lent into joy and happiness that we'll be remembering and celebrating and grateful for. 
it's not going to be the moments that we pushed ourselves super hard or stuck with something even when we knew it wasn't working. You know, we, we won't be grateful of those moments or celebrating them. We'll have probably regret. So we all need to lean into happiness and joy more, but it's really scary because (laughs) sometimes simultaneously you start worrying about when it's going to end. Like, oh my God, I feel so amazing right now, but oh shit, when's it going to end? It's going to end probably quite soon and I don't know what to do about that. You know, it's a horrible feeling. I think when it comes to the distinction between the two, maybe it's up for discussion and maybe it's subjective. I don't know. My own take on it would be that happiness is something that we perhaps have the choice with. And again, that I know that's triggering for some people to hear. It would have been really triggering for me 10 years ago. I would have thought, I cannot be happy right now. How can you say this to me? There's no way I could be happy. Look at my life. I'm not happy. But I'm learning now that even when there are super challenging things happening, and there's stuff I'm seeing around me that I don't like, I can still find little moments of happiness within it, dotted about. It's hard, but I can. So I think we've got a bit more choice, and that's maybe about perception and perspective. Whereas joy, I think, probably is um, more fleeting and something that we're more accepting uh, of in terms of it being ephemeral. We're like, oh, that was such a joyful dinner and it was wonderful. But now I'm back home and I'm going to bed. And, you know, you compartmentalize it. That was a joyful moment. And we package it as that was joy. And that's really lovely. I think we're probably better at joy than we are happiness. Yeah. Because happiness, you know, we could potentially lean into a couple of times a day with small things that we might not choose to, or it might feel impossible. I know those feelings. Um, But with joy, we're quite good at going, that was a great, Christmas Day. It was joyful. I'll always remember that joy. Or that was, you know, what what joyful night out at the theatre. Or, you know, we we're quite good at going, that was joy, and I'm happy with that, and I'll keep that as a memory there. Whereas happiness we, we struggle with so much more. That's that's my take on it. Others might disagree. Maybe that's just how I see it. I'm pretty good at recalling joyful memories and I appreciate them at the time, but yeah, there's been big chunks where happiness has just literally been, you know, completely lacking. So mm. it's interesting dissecting them. Really interesting. It is. And and for someone that has experienced a lot more of the world than I have and has had moments of joy and moments of happiness as well, and you've spoken to a lot of high-profile people and to some regular people about this particular topic and to begin with, I find it interesting for me to learn and to look at it and try and apply what I can try and apply from learning from you to my own life about joy and happiness. For me, I've learned joy from my two German shepherds. Um, they've first one was named Joy and the second one is named Alita Joy because every time I looked at them or every time they're in my presence, they would bring that sense of joy. And I've got like a, a dog tag on one of my Back to the Future posters, which says, never enough joy. And that was like this beautiful reminder for me that if I want joy to be in my life, it will be there. And whenever I have a memory of my dog, joy will flood my soul and my mind. 
and my whole spirit. So I feel that that sense of it. And then not long after, I'll feel that, I guess, calming, peaceful sense of happiness that often comes too. So I think it's an amazing thing. <laughs> it really is. It's so cool. And you're so right. You know, often pets and kids teach us joy because they both live in the moment. So they're grabbing yeah. at joy whenever they can. You know, my kids are looking for joy constantly. Like, can I have that lolly? Can I have that sweet? Can we go to the toy shop? They're looking for the next moment of joy and they're really leaning into it fully. They're not worrying when it's going to end. They are leaping into it and it's a beautiful thing. Or, you know, when they see a puddle and jump into it or they run into the sea or they're swinging from a tree, it's joy. And yeah, we're actually, maybe I'm going to contradict what I've just said, but maybe we're not so good at joy because we, we're we not good at like wild abandon when it comes to joy. Like, you know, kids will literally go, oh my God, that tree is the perfect tree to climb and they're climbing up it. And it's amazing. Whereas we're like, oh, I can't be able to climb that tree. That looks like it's going to take a bit of effort. I can't bother. Do you know what I mean? Like we sort of cancel out the wild abandon bit and um, abandon. And it's... Um, that, or like kicking leaves like, oh my god look at these red leaves I'm going to kick them everywhere and it's going to be so fun whereas I'm like I've got to get a leaf blower out and bloody get rid of all these leaves you know like we sort of we forget that there can be moments of just pure silliness for no reason um, yeah I've totally changed my mind on joy after you saying that wow okay <laughs> I don't know what I don't have a clue who, who was that person that said we I'm probably going to butcher the saying but we we grow old because we stop playing or something like that I think it's. I don't know, but I like it. Yeah, I, I love it too because it just reminds me once again that even the age that you are, you can still have fun in the present moment. But oftentimes, it's because of the busyness of life that we do get into, we kind of forget it. I think you hit the nail on the head right there because kids, they're always in the present moment. They got no cares in the yeah. world. And if I had my time again, I want to go back to being a kid. <laughs> I had such Same. a fun time. It's so good. It's so much easier than being an adult. Being an adult is so hard. <laughs> it really so is. Hard. It really is. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought, I can't wait to be an adult. I'll do exactly what I want. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to wear what I want. I'm going to decorate my own place. How I want. I'm going to eat what I want when I want. And then you become an adult and you go, oh my God, this is not <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. This, yep. this has been sold to me badly. This is not how I thought it was going to be. <laughs> the mar- so the marketing harder. was terrific, wasn't it? Oh, the marketing was fantastic. It looked great and it's not as it panned out to be. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fern, I really, really enjoy this conversation. My final question for you is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end of all my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done, don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I've got an amazing image of me at that age. Uh, I've got quite a lot of lipstick on my teeth and I'm wearing excessive amounts of jewellery and I probably have a ridiculous hair colour. Um, I'm kind of like a witch at this age, right? That's where I'm headed on, and I'm very, very happy about it. And I think it's that I, I, I would like to feel like I've made other people's lives better 
even in tiny ways, friends, family members, strangers, that my interaction with them was beneficial and not the opposite. I would hate to get to that age and for me to have caused people a lot of harm. And obviously I have, we've all made mistakes, we've all hurt people, even when we hadn't meant to. And I know that's a given, but I hope at that age, the majority of my life will have been me um, trying to make other people feel less alone and uh, I guess to feel a sense of peace that it's okay, whatever's going on in your life, you know, that it's it's fine and it's normal and it's okay. That's, that's what I'd like um, the memories to sort of be based around, I guess, that, yeah, that I, like I said before, I've done decent things, nice things, helpful things. Um, and it doesn't have to be big firework, explosive, huge things, but just little things that have been, that have made other people's life a bit better, even if it was for a couple of minutes. Mm. Um, and I don't think I'll change my mind on that. I think I'll always want to sort of strive to, to do that. Um, might miss the mark on occasion, fine. But overall, I hope that's the feeling that I leave. It's a beautiful send-off message. Fern, I could speak to you forever, but I have to let you go. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. You're an absolute blessing. Oh, well, thank you. It's been so lovely to talk to you and good luck with all the brilliant work that you're doing. And um, I hope to see you soon. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 